I love dad jokes. And those reactions are exactly why I'm not going to try one right now. Um, I, I did try a theological dad joke in one of the classes I taught. Uh, the response was very similar, um, except ironically my dad, who was at the class and laughed at the time. But uh, the, the funny thing is dad jokes like these, uh, they're, they're mostly puns. Uh, they play on double meanings of words and phrases. And in the past, puns were considered a highly intelligent form of humor. Uh, they were thought to be the highest form of humor by some. So dads, you all would have been an, a hit in the ancient world. <laughs> because in the ancient world, they really valued uh, words and phrases that you can kind of sit and think about. Although some of those we can probably think about more than others. But using words and phrases that have multiple meanings, it's a great way of teaching something. Uh, this actually comes up a lot in the Old Testament. Uh, there are prophets making puns. Uh, the Psalms have all kinds of wordplay. And we have symbols like trees and mountains and gardens that show up again and again all throughout the Old Testament. And Jesus continued this tradition. He continued teaching with symbols and, and playing with multiple meanings. He used parables, and he used symbols like vines and branches, for instance, or sheep and shepherd. And today, we're going to talk about one of his most important and powerful symbols. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about communion. Now, in this church family, communion is something we do together as a group about every four to six weeks. And we have the crackers and juice available on the tables uh, every week. But we also know that in the larger church, the whole family of Christ, there are lots of ways to do communion. Some of you may have come from a different tradition. You may be familiar with different ways of thinking about and talking about communion. And one of the things that I love about this church family is that there is a great diversity of ideas and background when it comes to things like this. So before I even get into this, I want to be crystal clear about something. I am not telling you the right way to do communion. And I am absolutely not telling you that some different way is wrong. In fact, I'm not even going to explain uh, how or why we do commun communion here. I'm not going to explain exactly what Grace Fishers does or why we do it. I'm just going to talk about one single scene. This is one moment in the Bible when Jesus spoke about communion. It's a scene that's very easy to miss. In fact, we don't talk about it a whole lot, but I believe that it shows a really important part of what Jesus is offering us. So that whatever your tradition or thoughts about communion are, this one scene, this scene has the potential to make communion richer and fuller and more meaningful no matter how you practice it. It's the scene where Jesus tells us to eat and drink communion. 
And this is found in John 6. But you don't have to turn there quite just yet, because I'm going to give a tiny bit of background first. So John, the book of John, it's one of the four Gospels, the four tellings of the story of Jesus, and John was written last. It was written after Matthew, Mark, and Luke, possibly decades after. So by the time John is writing, the story of Jesus has already been told and told again and again, and everyone has heard the story of communion three times. Because in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we have an almost identical story, and it's called the Last Supper. This is the last meal that Jesus shared with his disciples before he was crucified. Uh, it was also a holiday meal, a Jewish holiday called Passover. Now at Passover, the Jewish people remembered how God had rescued them from Egypt. And there was a whole series of miracles, if you ever want to read about them in the Old Testament. And the meal acted as a way to reenact those miracles, to remember the story of their rescue. Uh, for example, the wine in the meal, it can represent uh, the blood of the lambs that were sacrificed to keep them safe when an angel of death came to Egypt, things like that. And during the meal, when Jesus took it at the Last Supper, instead of saying, everyone remember the slavery in Egypt, or holding up the wine and saying, remember the blood of the lambs, Jesus changed things. Jesus held up the wine and said, this is my blood. And he held up the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. Do all of this in remembrance of me. What Jesus did is he changed the holiday. Instead of saying, we're going to remember how God rescued us from Egypt, he said, when you take this meal, remember what I'm about to do. Remember how God saved you from sin and death through me. So that's why we have the bread and the wine, or in our case, the gluten-free cracker and the juice. Jesus took these symbols from Passover and said, use them to remember me, what I did for you. And if you've been in church for a while, chances are you've heard about this kind of thing before. So, so that, that, that's great. We, it's very clear why we have the bread and the wine or the crackers and the juice. They're the symbols that he chose to represent his sacrifice for us. But here's the follow-up question. Why do we eat them? Now, now, stick with me here. I know bread is food and juice is drink. I, I, I know that. But... But Jesus didn't have to tell us to eat them. I mean, try to kind of look at this from an outside perspective for a moment. Pretend you hadn't grown up with it or heard about it before. Or maybe you are new to Christianity and you've wondered about this. Jesus says, this is my blood, this is my body. Jesus is our God. This is the blood and body of our God and we eat it? That's a little weird. I mean, why not, you know, thank him for it? Why not break it to remember and pour it to remember it was spilled, but to eat it? And Jesus didn't say eat and drink them. He actually said to eat and drink him. That's odd. Shocking, even. And it certainly freaked out a lot of people at the time. 
understanding why the bread is the body and the wine is the blood, that's pretty straightforward. Jesus set that up at Passover, and we talk about it all the time. But we rarely talk about the other time Jesus spoke about communion. There was one other time that Jesus clearly taught about eating and drinking communion, and it's this other time that Jesus told us why. And that's what we're going to look at today. So now you can turn to John 6. If you have your Bibles, if you have your app, there's one in the front of you, it's always good to check me to be able to read along. And if you're watching later or watching from a distance, I want to thank you for joining us, for taking the time. And I also want to suggest if you're watching me in a way you can pause me, now is a perfect time to pause. Because at the end of all of this, I'm going to invite us to take communion. And, and we have communion at the front and supplies here, but if you want to pause to get some bread and wine or juice and crackers or whatever you want to use for communion, now is a perfect time to pause me. All right, picking up in John 6. Uh, we'll be starting down at verse 36. Oh, sorry, verse 32. And I'll give a little bit of, of, of kind of catching up here. So Jesus has been teaching. He's miraculously fed people. He just walked on water, so that's pretty cool. And now another crowd has found him, and they're demanding more food. And, and Jesus is trying to teach them. He's trying to tell them how he came to save them. And their response is basically, yeah, yeah, Messiah, that's great. Prove it by making some more free food. Do something like that. You know, Moses gave us manna in the desert. Wouldn't that be a great trick to show us you're real? This manna thing, uh, what they're talking about is another miracle that happened a little bit after Passover. Uh, God had delivered them out of Egypt, and they're in a desert, but they need food. And so God miraculously made food appear on the ground overnight. And he did it over and over again, and this food is called manna, or the bread from heaven. And with that in mind, we pick up with Jesus talking to the crowd in verse 32. I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, my father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. We see Jesus is trying to nudge them. They're focused on the free meal, and he's trying to make a bigger point about what God is offering them. But they're not really getting it. Sir, they said, give us this bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So at this point, Jesus is being increasingly explicit. This is all about me. I am the one you are looking for. I'm everything you're looking for. Trust me. Well, they don't trust him. After this, they keep grumbling. The response is basically, well, he says he's from heaven, but we all know where he's born. Is he going to feed us or not? Skipping down to Jesus' response in verse 47. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. 
Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. Jesus is making it very clear at this point. You have this miracle where God provided for you in the desert. He gave you a gift from heaven to keep you alive. And I'm like that. I'm what God has provided for you. I am the gift from heaven to keep you alive. But the life I give, says Jesus, is bigger than death. Whoever has life in them will be resurrected after they die. Now, Jesus could have stopped right there, and John could have stopped writing right there, and we would say, okay, this is great. This is a good story. This is it's kind of funny. It's a great reminder that Jesus is here to save us, that he has life for us, but it's not really about communion. I mean, clearly this bread from heaven thing is a metaphor. I mean, they're talking about manna and bread, but communion is the bread and the wine. It's the body and the blood, and we eat and we drink it. Jesus is talking about being a gift from heaven, but he hasn't said anything about communion yet. That's why verse 51 is so interesting. Starting at 51, Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and this bread, which I offer that the world may live, is my flesh. Well, the people began arguing with each other about what this meant. How can this man give us their flesh to eat, they said. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life in you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Boom. This is communion language. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. I mean, this is intense. This is challenging. And it kind of comes out of nowhere. I mean, they weren't asking for a drink. They were asking for lunch. And he's talking about miracles and metaphors and manna. And then suddenly, Jesus is talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. This is just like the Last Supper. But remember, this is written in the book of John. The book of John was after the other three Gospels. So everyone already knew about the Last Supper. They'd already heard it three times already. Everybody knew that communion is the wine and the blood and the bread and the body, and we take it to remember his sacrifice. And they knew it because every gospel had repeated that story, but no one had told this story. This story is like John saying, hey guys, Remember when Jesus talked about communion and manna? 
Communion is so much more than Passover. It's not only protection from death, it's the giving of life. It's not just about the lambs that died to save us. It's about the bread from heaven that was given to fill us. Communion is not just about the life Jesus lost. It's also about the life Jesus gives. Another way of putting it would be like this. Communion is not simply a transfer. It's a trade. All the death I have in me in exchange for the life he has in him. And to be clear, this isn't just me being poetic and getting excited. This is exactly what Jesus says next. The very next thing Jesus talks about is the life he gives. The very next verse, verse 56. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I am him. I live because of the living Father who sent me, and in the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven, and anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate manna, but will live forever. This is the heart of it right here. We're saying a lot this week, this day. If you remember nothing else about communion, John 6, 56, 6, 5, 6, this is the verse. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. This verse is the heart of communion. I in Jesus and Jesus in me. So why do we actually eat it? Why do we actually drink it? Because this is what we want. Jesus in me and I in him. Because Jesus is not just here to take something. He's here to give something. Communion is not simply a transfer. It's a trade. It's not simply that Jesus takes away my sin. Rather, Jesus takes what is within me, all that is within me, and exchanges it for what is within him. And within Jesus is life, and life in abundance. This is a change. This is a different way of going about it. It can be a shift. At least it was for me when I first learned this. But for some of us, this is a very much needed change. Many of us are going through life full of sin and pain, guilt and shame, and we've been told all about the way Jesus takes our sin, but we've never been told about the way he gives life. The result is a tragic cycle. We come to communion or, or to the cross or to confession and we ask for forgiveness, and because Jesus loves us, he absolutely forgives us. And he takes our sin and our guilt and our shame, but then we leave. And we leave empty. We've gone from full of death to simply empty. And over time, we get filled again. 
filled with sin and guilt and shame. And so we return, and this happens over and over and over again. Jesus told us that anyone who eats his flesh and drinks his blood has eternal life. Another good translation would be unending life. But this cycle of empty and full of death and empty and full of death, that's not unending life. That's unending failure. And you were not made for that cycle. If you're in that cycle, slow down. He's not just here to forgive you. He's here to fill you, to bless you, to celebrate you, especially when you feel you don't deserve it. You may not be in this cycle. It's not the only cycle. Instead of a cycle of sin, you may find yourself in a cycle of stress, a cycle of worry. This cycle It often begins with good things, a desire for your children to thrive, a a hope for your future, an ambition to impact the world. But before long, these become a source of stress and worry and anxiety, even a source of fear. And when it gets bad enough, you go to God for help. Of course, you you pray or, or rest or take a vacation or take communion. And you turn over your fears and you surrender your desires and you may even feel a lifting of your burdens because Jesus does lift them. But then you leave. And we only receive half the blessing. We ask God to take our burdens, and we don't wait to receive his gifts. We leave empty. Lighter, yes, but still empty. And soon we are full of worry and stress and fear again. Communion is not simply a transfer of worry. It's a trade of heart. If you're in that cycle of stress... Let Jesus feed you. Let him care for you. Let him take away what you were never meant to carry and give you exactly what he has in store. Rest with him. But I don't know what's within you. I don't know if you're one of those cycles or something completely different. There are many possibilities. And more importantly, I don't know what Jesus has in store for you. I can't just tell you a blanket answer because it's so much richer and more personal than that. But what I do know, what I can tell you, is it is a very good trade. Whatever he has in store for you is good. And it's a trade he offers every single day. Now, this doesn't mean you have to take communion every day or you don't get his blessings. I I, want to be clear about that. For some of us, that may be a season we're called into, but it's not a magic potion. If you're a follower of Christ, this trade has already been made. 
If you've given up your life to follow him, he has given his life to fill you. That trade is done. You are safe. He has given you his life, and he freely gives it every day. But if you're anything like me, that can be really hard to remember. It can be hard to hold on to. It can be hard to trust. It can feel like an ideal I'm supposed to believe in, but it needs to be a reality that I'm trusting in. And for me to give it the reality it deserves, I need something just as real. And that's one of the reasons we have communion. Instead of just thinking about and trusting God today in some abstract way, I can pick up the bread and the wine, the cracker of the juice, and instead of just thinking about how he offers life, I can eat it and drink it in his name. Whenever I want to empty myself before Jesus and trust he will fill me, I can do that. And I can do it in a million ways. I can do it with prayer and with a song. I can do it with silence or speaking at church or at home. And I can do it in the special way that he gave us, communion. So why do we eat it? Why do we drink it? Because Jesus has life to give us. And whenever we feel hungry for that life, whenever we feel thirsty, he's given us a way to eat and to drink and be filled. And this is an act of trust. Because I'd love to stop there and just say, if you take communion, boom, everything's going to be better. But this is an act of trust. Like I said, it's not magic. We don't take communion because it's a medicine that immediately fixes or solves our problems. Jesus is the one that fills us. And when we are in us and he, when, <laughs> when he is in us and we are in him, sometimes the effects are immediate and they are powerful. And I can tell you some stories about that. But I can also tell you stories of waiting and of patience and of long, slow seasons of growth. Sometimes we don't notice anything. It feels like nothing happened. So why do we take communion? Because we trust him. That's why we take it. We trust that he actually has life for us. Because communion is a transfer. It's not simply a transfer. It's a trade. Even when we can't feel it. And so we keep coming to Jesus. We return again and again to the throne room of God. And some days, some days it's like we can see Jesus seated at the right hand of God. And we come in communion before him and we ask, what gift do you have for me today? But other days, other days all we see is the cracker and the juice. And all we can say is, I trust you. Please fill me. But every day, Jesus is absolutely delighted to see you. And he is overflowing with the abundance of everything you need. In these next few minutes, 
we're going to have the chance to take communion. If you've picked some up, you may have it with you, or you'll be an opportunity to get some from about the room. Our worship team is going to be playing some music to honor the time and space, and, and Josh will have some instructions on where to get communion and some guidance for the time. But before I turn it over to them, let's pray. Father God, you are holy and good, and we are your children, and we are so thankful that you've given us this gift, a gift we never could have imagined or designed, and you made it just for us. Jesus, I know that you have your eyes on each of our hearts today. I know that you have prepared a gift for each of us in this day. I ask that you will open our eyes to see it, open our hands to receive it. And I thank you. I thank you for the love you offer us every day. Amen. I truly appreciate uh, just the 